This is Evan Ginsberg, associate producer of The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke and 350 Days with Bret Hart and superstar Billy Graham. And you are listening to Kings of the Ring. You're listening to the Kings of the Ring Podcast Network. Welcome to the Kings of the Ring, a fictionalized and romanticized retelling of the 1980s wrestling wars following the rise and fall of the power brokers of the sport, while offering a peek into the sex, drugs, and muscles lifestyle of the 80s wrestler and the sacrifices they make for success. Kings of the Ring is primarily a listener-supported show, and I want to thank all who have signed up on Patreon from the US, UK, and Canada. Check out patreon.com slash kingsotr for more info, including how you can be part of the story. Kings of the Ring is written and directed by Steve Tatai, with sound design and editing by Mana Sports Media, voice characterization by Steve Tatai, with guest voice actors RJ City, Cyrus Fees, and Evan Ginsberg. Kings of the Ring is intended for mature audiences. Today's episode would be rated MA for drug use, smoking, profanity, and graphic sexual and anatomical descriptions. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to the Kings of the Ring. In Charlie Gotch's large log cabin home overlooking the lake, he walks around in the den when in walks his son, Nelly. Dad, you ready or what? Ma says you're in no condition to leave the house. Whoa! He sees Charlie stumbling around looking at old World Wrestling Alliance pictures on the wall. He waves his hand back and forth in front of his face. You're three sheets to the wind! Navy. We got Chicago tonight, Dad. Uh, I know I'm driving, but geez Louise, it's frickin' noon. I'm not going. There's no point. This about your little match you had with Shark and Buzzsaw on the plane? I'm sure the FFA will let you back on. I think they're just trying to put a scare into you. Yeah, that's not it. I might have been too hasty with shrimp and buzz whip. Maybe they're not so bad. Really? Are you serious right now? Serious as a heart attack, son. Nelly moves in closer and pats his father's back while trying to keep him from falling over. Does that mean you're warming up to my idea? Turning the baby face? Go ahead. What do I know? He takes another sip of Chivas Regal. Uh, I'm gonna go, before you change your mind. I'll run the locker room tonight. You take care, Pop. Oh, come on now. The Axis Express has the Olympian's American flag. What are they doing with that? They wouldn't dare. Someone put a stop to this. Wait a second. The Apocalypse, uh, they're still around. They're turning around and walking back to the ring. Whoa! They're getting in the face of Bull Von Heimer and Mr. Shimasaki and having words. The shark hits Von Heimer! Buzzsaw nails Shimasaki! The Access Express is on the floor, while Buzzsaw grabs the American flag and holds it up high and proud! While Shark dares them to come back into the ring, and the fans of Chicago couldn't be any more proud of the apocalypse! King to the Ring, Episode 38, Giving Thanks. the Graciela Hotel in Burbank, California, down the street from the studios where the Eddie Carr show takes place, Jimmy Buck and the outlaw Jesse James meet to make final preparations. Now there's all about setting up Thanksgiving from Greensboro. After Eddie shows that highlight reel of you being a son of a bitch, you're gonna cut another heel promo on me. And I mean really go off. Now my cue will be when you say, 
redneck trash, then I'm going to slap you. Jimmy Buck rubs his hands together. Yeah, I love it. As you guys always say, that's how we talk him into the building. Huh? Now, Jesse, don't hold back at all with this slap. I mean, you really haul off. Let me have it. It's got to look real. Okay? I can take it. After I pick myself up off the floor, I'll go in a rant, cuss you out, and then we are off to the races all over again. Do-da. Do-da. Ooh. You gonna cuss on the Eddie car show? Yeah, Eddie will love it. Okay, that's your call, but after you get it from the slap, just make sure you say the name right when you challenge me. Battle of the Stars on Thanksgiving. As the Eddie Carr Show finishes a highlight reel of Jimmy Buck's appearances in SCW, we return to the studio where Eddie sits behind his famous desk, while the outlaw Jesse James slumps in his seat, side-eyeing Jimmy Buck right beside him. Well, what can I say, Jimmy? Uh, you did do some pretty mean things there, and said a lot too. Uh, I'm a little surprised you didn't put you in the hospital. <laughs> he did. Oh, that's right. Uh, when he gave you that pile driver. <laughs> so, uh, did you learn your lesson? No, I mean, he's the one that almost broke my neck. I could have done a lot worse, Jimmy Buck. That was me showing restraint. Now, Jesse, uh, I have to ask. Now, people will see this and, and wonder if this is all a show or a demonstration. Uh, are you two actually friends in real life? No, Mr. Carho, we are certainly not friends. This is as real as real gets. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean any offense. Uh, you can call me Eddie. That's okay, Eddie. I respect you and your question. But Jimmy here thinks wrestling's a big joke. He spent months running us down, thinking he can just waltz in and do what we do. He just saw what he did to all them girls. Tried to make a joke out of wrestling. And in front of 30,000 fans, I showed him how funny wrestling can be. <laughs> Come on now, Jimmy. I wouldn't want to make this kill boy any better than he already looks. <laughs> Should probably give Jesse that apology and end this, uh, don't you think? Jimmy Buck shakes his head vigorously and defiantly in disgust and sits up, facing Jesse James. You're lucky I didn't sue you. You know that you should thank me for that, and you should say you're sorry. I know you wouldn't do this because you're not a man. Enough of this. Jesse gets up to leave. That's right. Go on. You're not a man because you're a stupid redneck trash. Jesse James hauls off and slaps Jimmy Buck just as they planned. But something unexpected happens. The force of the slap and the anger on Jesse's face takes Jimmy Buck straight back to his tormented childhood and he freezes, staring up at Jesse in horror with tears welling up in his eyes. With the six foot four inch cowboy towering over him, Jimmy scrambles to his feet, clutching his face and runs off the set, tears streaking down his face. So, uh, we'll be right back, folks. Backstage, Jimmy Buck is standing next to his manager, Morty, looking completely back to normal when Eddie Carr sees them and stomps over furiously. Well, you listen here, Buck. I'm Eddie fucking Carr, motherfucker. You don't put that bullshit on my shoe. Yes, Mr. Carr. Please, Eddie. This is just a misunderstanding. Shut your pie hole, Morty. Now, if I ever find out that this wasn't on the level, 
You're not only banned from the shoe, all of your bulbs are moved and I'll use your dick to stir my drinks. Jimmy and Morty take their licking, while the iconic talk show host notices the side of Jimmy's face. But I can, uh, can see from your face swelling up. Uh, this, this is real. He pats Jimmy on the shoulder in concern. Jimmy, uh, be careful with this wrestler guy. Thanks, Eddie. Alright, now fuck off. I need to get my cock sucked in some coke. I'm talking more snow than Diane Cannon's suitcase on the way back from Aspen. Neil, give me one of these girls. All this yelling is making me Morty is so relieved and grateful as he pulls Jimmy Buck away, lowering his head in gratitude to Eddie Carr. Thank you, Eddie. This will never happen again. I promise. Back at the Graciela, Jimmy Buck is celebrating with champagne while a perplexed Jesse James scratches his head. We did it. Eddie Carr bought it. America bought it hook, line, and sinker. What the hell happened out there, Jimmy? After I slapped you, you just ran off set. No, no, I didn't. I came back and I cussed you out, just like we said. You didn't, Jimmy. You don't remember? <laughs> ah, well, who cares? We'll pick it up next week on TV. Then we can build to the big rematch on Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out later. Um, yeah, yeah, Jesse. We will, but once those assholes from the studio see the show tonight, I know I'll get this part. And I will be back, baby. Jimmy Buck is back. The Buck is back. And I won't forget this, Mr. James. I'll get you a part in this movie, I promise. Uh, I thought we were going to treat this like a shoot. Oh, uh, yeah, well, that's right. Well, I will go, I'll get you a part in some other picture. Or maybe, uh, I, maybe I'll buy you a solid gold Cadillac, huh? I'll do something for you. Hey, all I need is for you to headline our big show and it'll be our Empire Mania. Yeah, fuck Julian Kane. Fuck that guy. It's Monday morning in Jimmy Buck's enormous mansion in the Hollywood Hills, paid for by his payoff for a hockey house back in 1978. His housekeeper lets herself in through the kitchen and starts vacuuming the dining room before entering the foyer, the spectacular foyer where Jimmy Buck first met Jesse James and Daniel Hawkins last year, with that gigantic chandelier hanging from the tall mansion ceiling. You've reached Jimmy Buck. Leave a message after the beep, or go fuck yourself. Jimmy, it's over. Billy Crystal got the part. You'll see it in today's variety. As usual, you took it too far. You scared the shit out of them at Spago, and your little stunt on the Eddie Car Show clinched it. <sighs> They wanted you, but they were petrified about what you might pull on set. I didn't want to risk bringing you on. And I think they speak for this whole fucking town with that sentiment. This was it, Jimmy. Your last chance, and you blew it. You fucking blew it. On the floor of the foyer is a copy of the newest Variety magazine, with a headline echoing what Morty is saying about Billy Crystal getting the part in the new movie, Running Scared. The cover of the magazine, however, obscured by a slow drip of bile, blood, and saliva as Jimmy Buck, or James Bucciano as his mother called him, hangs lifelessly by a rope from that chandelier. It's Thanksgiving in Greensboro. And the tradition is wrestling after everyone's eaten their giant meal with friends and family. Jesse James pulls up to the parking lot of Greensboro Coliseum, the site of SCW's biggest annual show of the year, 
If the parking lot tonight isn't as crowded as usual, as he shakes his head seeing the marquee for Battle of the Stars with no main event. Jesse barely notices as he walks in past the Ebony Express, David Givens, King Kong Cyrus and others, that they're not even looking him in the eye. He sits his Halliburton down near his usual locker and finds Daniel Hawkins in the office. Jesse, uh, you're here. <laughs> well, why wouldn't I be? I don't know, it's just... I know this Jimmy Buck suicide is throwing our show for a loop since we got no main event. And with no main event, we got no draw. Uh, I get that. Now, I know we expected a big walk-up, but uh, I ain't seeing much out there. It's not the lack of a main event, Jesse. It's you. What are you on about? I know you, Jesse, and I know what you and Jimmy were doing all this time, but, but kayfabe in the locker room is, is going to have consequences. I think it was half a shoot between you two. I see your point, but they got to know withholding how an angle is going to play out is, is normal. That's just the locker room. I didn't even get to the general public. I'm not following you, Danny boy. This shouldn't affect the box office. Uh, Jimmy was a, a bonus attraction in the first place. We aren't built around here. Jesse, the last thing anyone in the country saw was you smacking Jimmy Buck like a fucking monster and him crying like a child and running away. Look! Jimmy looks down at the desk with the newest Greensboro News and Record with a headline straight from the Associated Press circulating in every other newspaper across the country. SCW pro wrestler Jesse James drives beloved comedian Jimmy Buck to suicide. Kings of the Ring will be back after these messages. I still can't believe how amazing you are. So sweet dreams, little Katie. And sweet dreams for me, too. Because I'm about to have something so rich, so creamy. General Foods International Coffee's Cafe Vienna with the spicy sweetness of cinnamon. Unlike anything else, turning quiet time into a quiet celebration. Celebrate the moments of your life. With General Foods International Coffee's. I think, Brooke, would you like him to get a little closer? And then I think, yeah, I'd like him to get a little closer. That's when I'm glad I've got Arid Extra Dry Spray. Arid helps stop wetness before embarrassing odor can start. Very reassuring. In fact, Arid is America's leading spray against wetness and odor. So if you like getting closer, and you hate being embarrassed, get Arid Extra Dry. We now return to Kings of the Ring. At the executive suite's luxury apartments in Atlanta, Georgia, Miss Kitty is banging on the door. Cooey! Open up, Donnie! Cooey, yeah. Kitty! Kitty shoves in the front door to Diamond Donnie's luxury apartment that looks anything but luxurious at the moment. She waves her hand in front of her face as the stale stink of his home blasts out the door. Jiminy Crickets, Donnie, what the hell are you doing? She sees Donnie in his wheelchair, Bleached hair half grown out with dark brown roots and a bushy beard. A half-empty bottle of Jim Beam in his lap. I'm done. I'm checking out, Kitty. Your husband said it all in that locker room, and he was 100% on the money. I am selfish. I always have been. I got the punishment I deserve. As he looks at the wheelchair. Even this is too good for me. Waylon Thorpe. A good family man is dead. 
and I'm still here? <laughs> nah. I'm gonna drink all the liquor I have, and then I'm gonna finish the job. That's enough. We're gonna do something we should have done a long time ago. Oh, Kitty, I've been waiting forever to do that, but, uh, but I can't get a hurt on, remember? I'm totally paralyzed from the waist down. Would you stop thinking with your dick for once? Where's your suitcase? We're going to the airport. She stomps into his bedroom. Airport? No way. Ain't going in. Miss Kitty drives Donnie Gold in a rental car out of Will Rogers Airport in Oklahoma City, straight out of town. I can't do this. Just get me a drink and let's go back. Just take this aspirin and finish that coffee. Are you going to tell me why we're here yet? I mean, the hills in Oklahoma City, anyhow. One thing Barry was spot on about. You are a selfish son of a bitch, Diamond Donnie Gold. Everybody in the Charlotte locker room knew there was only one of us who came from Oklahoma. He talked about it all the time. Donnie looks out the window as tears well up. Oh, Christ. Waylon. I'm such an asshole. You probably told me a hundred times and I wasn't even listening. Kitty shakes her head in disappointment. You're not going to forget this. As they drive more than an hour east of Oklahoma City, through Prague and the back roads and rural fields of Oklahoma, they slow down to the reservation land and pass a sign that reads, Sac and Fox Tribe of Indians of the Mississippi River in Oklahoma, home of Jim Thorpe and Wayland Thorpe. They pull up into the heart of the reservation, passing by decrepit old houses in dire need of repair, kids in tattered clothing, all in a large field surrounding an enormous teepee. Sack and Fox Native Americans walking towards the reservation's community center, carrying crockpots and other dishes. Miss Kitty helps Donnie Gold out of the car into his wheelchair and pushes him into the large open-air shelter where near everyone is gathered inside this late autumn afternoon. The chief is in front of the room, sees them and motions for them to sit with him at the head table. Most of the children and teenagers stare at Donnie and Kitty as the new faces or recognizing them from TV. One of the women motions for Kitty to follow her, while about 30 members of the tribe line up to fill their plates from this huge potluck buffet of corn, deer meat, barbecue, beans, and stacks of fry bread. At the table, the chief speaks with Donnie Gold, who feels uncomfortable at the attention he's getting and wishes Kitty would hurry back already. Donnie! We have a lot of wrestling fans in the tribe, following Waylon, of course, but watched you wrestle many matches at the convention center. When Kitty called us and said you two were not only friends of Waylon, but that you, a survivor of the plane crash that took Waylon, and wanted to see where he grew up, you were honored to receive you. Please, accept our food. Donnie is quiet as he eats, feeling uncomfortable at the attention he's getting from those in the room. A far cry from Diamond Donnie, who's always the life of the party. Miss Kitty does most of the chatting with the others and occasionally pats Donnie's hand and looks to him while they ask wrestling questions. Donnie just can't stop thinking about Waylon and seeing his tribe, his family, and how he took him away from them. As the sun is about to set, and we are so far from the first-class accommodations that someone like Dummy Donnie Gold is used to. Donnie shakes his head slightly at the notion, as he feels as lowly and worthless as ever. Kitty squeezes his hand and gives him a stern look, as she doesn't want anyone misinterpreting the faces he's making. We humbly ask you to sleep here on the res. 
We have a guest house on the community grounds, humble as it may be. Thank you, Chief. We would be honored. Do you know who gets sheets put in? It has a queen-size bed for you two. Oh, we're... we're not together. Really? I apologize. I just assumed you two are so obviously in love. Donnie cracks a tiny smile and a subtle wink to Kitty as she kicks him under the table. Um, <coughs> we are just friends. Of course. Uh, we'll find another one. Don't worry. Donnie can sleep on the floor. The chief looks up and signals, and a couple of women leave, while others start to bring out elaborate Native American artifacts and items. I cannot stress how much it means to have someone from Wayland's Wrestling League here. We have many gifts for you, Donnie. Who knew? You shouldn't have. I mean, really, it's embarrassing. This is the traditional headdress of our tribe. A hair roach made of porcupine. They present a burst of bright red quills, spectacularly shaped like a mohawk, and lay it in front of Donnie. Donnie puts his hand on his forehead as he continues to realize where he is, as the entire room faces them and feels awful to accept these gifts. Waylon would write us letters of his tales on the road, and he always spoke highly of you, and told us it was his dream to wrestle you in the main event of the Myriad. Donnie becomes consumed with guilt, and tears form in his eyes as Kitty squeezes his hand again. The chief motions as a young girl brings another elaborate necklace. This was made by Wayland's niece, Charlotte. Charlotte? Yes. Named after her uncle's home in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, God. She made it for her uncle for his next visit back home. Chief, please, stop. It's all too much. I don't deserve this. A great friend of Wayland's is a great friend of ours. You don't get it. I'm not a great friend. I'm the total opposite. The room stops and looks at Donnie. I don't understand. Waylon died because I made him switch seats on the airplane. Because I'm the world champion, I told him to cram into the front seat of that tin can so I could sit in the back with a girl. Waylon died because I'm a selfish prick. That kid should be giving this gimmick to her uncle. And she can't because of me. The chief's eyes squint and he looks at Donnie. Inside of him, to the very core of his being, Donnie looks away in shame and looks around the room as everyone is staring at him the same way they did in that locker room. Kitty, let's get out of here. The hour is late and you are still our guests. I insist you stay the night. You can leave in the morning. Inside the one-room cabin, Miss Kitty sits on the bed beside Donnie, still in his wheelchair, looking down, with heavy bags under his eyes, swollen and red from tears. <laughs> Where did you bring us here, kid? <laughs> like you didn't feel bad enough before. Because you can't run from this. You need to face it, or you're going to carry this around your whole life. I don't want it. I don't want any of this. This is Waylon Thorpe, right here. That girl, the chief, his cousins, everybody. This is Waylon. You have to make peace. I, I can't. I can't even face them. They know too much. The way the chief looked at me, like he could see my soul and see what I really am inside. Worthless piece of shit. Kitty lifts his head by his chin, looking into his eyes and says softly, you're not worthless to me. He looks back, and they kiss.
Donnie! Donnie! In the middle of the night, Donnie Gold awakens suddenly. Miss Kitty, fast asleep beside him, he hears noise that grows louder and feels compelled to follow it. He moves himself into the wheelchair, more painfully than normal as his legs ache, and he pushes himself out of the cabin. He looks up at the sky and has never seen the stars more clear than this night. He follows the drums to the center of the reservation to the large teepee, smoke billowing out the top. Outside, a couple of teenage boys are laughing, smoking a joint. Hey brother, hold the door open for me. One of them grabs a thick leather flap open as Donnie rolls himself inside. The teepee is large and vast. At least a dozen men are gathered around a huge fire, the top halves of their face painted black or red, with vivid white stripes across their faces. Huge, fiery red porcupine quills bursting out of the back of their bald heads, wearing furry cloaks and moccasins. Some dancing, some beating the drums, but all lost in the trance. The women are wailing and sobbing. You can't tell if they noticed him yet, but he is spellbound as well. One of them hands him a bowl carved out of wood. You can see the steam rising from the hot liquid inside. The man nods to Donnie, and Donnie drinks from this foul-tasting tea mixture, and he lifts the bottom of the bowl, forcing Donnie to drink more. Donnie Gold! He immediately recognizes the chief in full gimmick, standing before the fire, not even looking at him. You enter our grounds, our lands, unable to walk, unable to leap, unable to run, but still able to breathe. He turns and faces Donnie, his bright white eyes bursting from a head of pure black and darkness. Unlike my son, Waylon. Donnie feels his heart tear out of his chest with the realization that Chief was Waylon's dad the entire time, as his eyes well up again. How can you say it should be you buried in this earth, and not my son? As a boy, he would give his last piece of food to anyone who was hungry. I would have my son die in no other way than to offer his seat to another. But no that his spirit will be forever imbued into yours because of this. Donnie is a mess, weeping openly. Tonight, we exorcise the spirits that plague my son's soul, that have prevented him from moving on to the next plane of existence. Tonight, we know what binds him, and you must free my son from your chains of wallow. They start to dance around Donnie in a circle. Donnie becomes dizzy as he stares into the fire. The smoke fills the teepee. It is surreal, almost dreamlike, as he stares into the fire. Donnie's head gets light as he floats into the air and looks down at the Sack and Fox natives dancing and drumming until he flies all the way through the ceiling into the stars, the endless sky. He looks down and sees Jesse James at his front door, heart breaking as he tells him he's going to join the Empire. I can be a celebrity. I need to do this, Jesse. Gabriel Angel, Corporal Punishment, and others giving him ideas for their matches and him blowing them off. I'm the world champion, brother. This is what we're gonna do. His mentor and first father figure in wrestling, Crusher Krawcheck. Can you do this one show for us, Donnie? We really need a big house. Brother, I appreciate you put the belt on me, but as the world champion, 
Tokyo's offered me the biggest payoff I ever had on that weekend. I'm sorry, brother, but I'm going to Japan. His longtime advocate, Nigel Davies. I know you don't want me to put over David Gibbons, but doing a 60 minute draw with him, it's the same thing. <laughs> no way. Gibbons is still a jet guy. At a bar with Waylon, while Donnie's eyes are fixed on a big-breasted girl across the bar. Donnie, you should see the stars we get back in Oklahoma. Like nothing you've ever seen. Uh, yeah, sure, brother. I'll be right back. Waylon looking down, feeling foolish. And then he remembers the women and breaking all their hearts. So many hearts. Uh, yeah, baby, I'll call you next time I'm in town. I said, sweetheart, here's one night and it was good for what it was. A teenage Donnie in the front stoop of his childhood house as his father smacks him. Donald, don't you dare leave. I don't care if you'll ever die, but you're breaking your mother's heart. I don't care, Dad. I'm leaving and never looking back. Kiss my dust, old man. Donald, you have a son. And then he sees Waylon Thorpe sitting in the back seat of the airplane. Give it, big chief. Move up front. Oh, come on, Donnie. These long legs won't fit up there. Brother, I promise to take this girl to the Mile High Club. You owe me, brother. Let's get this party shaking, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then their plane is crashing through the trees, spearing to the ground like a missile. A tree branch coming straight for Waylon Thorpe. When Donnie passes through the seat like a ghost, pushing Waylon out of the way as the tree branch pierces Donnie through the chest. <laughs> Yeah, finally. Donnie looks uh, down, branch inside him in the plane crash, taking Wayland's place. Donnie! 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 You don't have to do this! You should have lived. I'm the one who should have died. It should have been me. It should have been me. My life is a waste. No, Donnie. It's not up to us when the big booker in the sky tells us when to do the job. It was my time. If you think your life was a waste, then fix it, brother. Right the wrongs. Live the rest of your life as only you can. Love and be loved. You think you're not? Look around. You are loved, Donnie. It's time for you to start loving back. Starting with yourself. Be great. For both of us. I will wait. I won't let you down. I swear to you, brother. I won't let you down. I won't let you down, Wayne. I'm gonna do it. I get you. Donnie is back in the teepee. He looks down and sees Miss Kitty kneeling beside him, tears running down her cheeks. Donnie, look, it's a miracle. Donnie looks down and sees a teepee in his pants. A full, meaty, rock hard erection. Yes, thank you, Ged. I got a booner. I got a booner again. Donnie, damn fool, would you stop thinking about your dick and look at your legs? You're standing! Holy shit, Donnie standing up. Was it freeing himself of the mental blocks of guilt? Was it the chief's magic? The ghost of Waylon Thorpe? Who knows, but Diamond Donnie Gold is back, baby. A Patreon exclusive scene for number 38, with Nellie Gotch going over instructions with the Apocalypse and the Axis Express before their match for Shark and Buzzsaw's babyface turn. If you heard that, thank you again for being a patron. If not, then you're listening to the wide-release version of Kings of the Ring and I invite you to check out patreon.com slash kingsotr 
for how you can hear all of these scenes, the Kings of the Ring Easter Egg podcast series, and more. And I want to thank our current crop of top guides and top girls from Patreon, American Travis, Powerlifter Jerry, Burke Fengler, Dom Rose, Duncan Clark, Tusi Mailo, Jeremiah DeBolt, John Johnston IV, John Snyder, Justin Taylor, Mark Cyrus, Michael Sluck, Randy Larzalier, Ronnie Miller, Russ Linderman, Stuart Flaherty, Mike Peel, Travis Wilson, Jason Razor, Yosemite Smith, Jerry Guzman, and Sue Hannon. Now only two episodes remain from the season. Episode 39, The Super Bowl of Wrestling, and number 40, Empire Mania 2. That's right, baby. The World Wrestling Alliance Super Show in mid-December, and Thor Hansen vs. Mabutu Zulu from Milwaukee, to close out 1985.